All right, good morning, everyone. So we will be in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20. Uh, those of you that heard last week, we started looking at the Ten Commandments. I came across a, uh, a quote by um, famous uh, mathematician, theologian, philosopher, Blaise Pascal, who said, the last thing one discovers in composing a work is what to put first. And so as I was sorting through what to put first today, uh, I decided I would start with um, clearing up what uh, may have been some confusion from last week. One of the uh, painful advantages of us recording our lessons is that it makes it really easy to go back and see where you've um, uh, maybe uh, not spoken as clearly as you should have, or maybe just got it wrong uh, to be less <laughs> gracious. Um, so I made a, um, a comment last time, and I'll talk about it a little bit this time, uh, where uh, some people have suggested uh, maybe, and it's mostly Christians, I don't think it's as much uh, Jews, but maybe we shouldn't be pushing this concept of posting the Ten Commandments uh, as vigorously for public display and that sort of thing because we may be causing some confusion. Uh, I also made a comment that uh, it's no big surprise when we see uh, non-believers not keeping the Ten Commandments. And I made a, a comment that, uh, well, they weren't written for them, they were written for us. And so I think those kind of ad-lib comments toward the end have created some confusion. Uh, thankfully, I think in God's grace, it also gives us a good way of review and introduction and to cover some things about the Ten Commandments that we probably should talk about at some point. And this is just as good a time as any. So let me uh, go through and clarify those remarks. And again, I think it'll be a good introduction for uh, the whole concept. First of all, to be clear, the Ten Commandments were written by God for a couple of reasons. To reveal himself to and I'll use the general term us, meaning God's people, but specifically to reveal himself to the children of Israel. As we know, they had been in a polytheistic society for 400 years. Uh, it's hard to, for us to know just how well the promises to Abraham got translated down to those one or two million people. Uh, secondly, the Ten Commandments were to describe how the Israelites were to behave as a people. So in effect, God set the societal expectations to bring glory to himself and to make the nation function well. The concept of really plan A, like we talked about last week, was that within a few weeks, perhaps maybe a, a few months, they were going to be going from one land in Egypt to the promised land. Uh, so this is how God's people were expected to behave. So that's point number one. Uh, Ten Commandments written by God to the people of, of Israel especially. Um, we have seen in society often Christians pushing for the display of the Ten Commandments. So let me just pause here. Why do you think that is? Daily reminder. So we think we, people ought to be reminded. It's the basis of our civil law, so it has a place in the public domain. A reasonable request because the Ten Commandments form a basis of uh, our civil law. Why else? Well, it's the code we live 
All right, so it's a code that we meaning humanity, humanity okay? I mean, there have been high-level court decisions about this topic, right? And it's interesting, the Supreme Court has, in some situations, said it's fine, and in some situations says it's not fine. Uh, context context really, uh, matters on how the court has decided on this. So um, it's, it's been kind of a big deal. And I, anyway, it's out there. So point number three, when I said that the Ten Commandments were, quote, written for us, not for them, the point was they were written for God's people. That was my general point. Uh, and that we shouldn't be surprised when folks who are not God's people break them, but technically were they written for us here in this room? No, they weren't. They were not written for us. Um, they were certainly not written for us today, which leads us into an appropriate discussion of, okay, if they weren't written for us, then what's our relationship with the Ten Commandments now? Right? And that's probably something I should have talked about first, but again, uh, we always get a, an, another chance to, to, to take another swing. Um, what is our relationship with the Ten Commandments now? Uh, as some have properly pointed out, um, all but one of the Ten Commandments are uh, repeated in the New Testament. Um, uh, the, the one that isn't repeated is about the Sabbath, which we'll actually talk about that one today. Um, the big idea is, is put forth in a, a number of different passages, but it's worth looking. Probably the most complete thought is in Romans 7. So if you'll turn there, and then I'm going to uh, hand off to a much more credentialed teacher to, uh, to make the point further. Romans 7, verse 1, and we'll just go through the first uh, six verses or so. Of course, this is Paul making the argument um, that uh, we are under a new covenant. That's the whole gist of the first half of Romans. Verse 1, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God, for while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the, lie, by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul kind of has his attorney hat on here. He's making his argument. And the, the point being that uh, when you're when you're dead, you're released from that law. He uses the example of marriage, and he argues that we are dead to that in Christ, 
to this old law, which would include the Ten Commandments, and and that is what frees us to to be with Christ. And of course, the the church and the marriage of Christ we know. So that's the big idea. So I'm going to. Um, I found a nice clip here, if I can get this to work, from um, uh, the Desiring God series, uh, John Piper, who does a nice job answering this question. No. The Bible says we're not under the... I lost my... I love technology when it works. I actually love technology even when it doesn't work, but that's just kind of a geek thing. shape ourselves by everything he's done, he's doing, will do. We stake our lives in the gospel and then instead of uh, serving the law, we serve one another in love. Love is the fruit of faith in Jesus. 
faith working through love. And if you ask, what does love look like? First John says it keeps the commandments. Which kind of brings us back to, oh, which commandments? And I say, well, the ones that are loving. So I, I love God and do as you please is not bad advice if you're bent on holiness, if you're bent on love. The law, the Ten Commandments are really important. You should hang them on your wall and you should uh, measure your life by them, but in a very, very different way than when you were under them because they have been kept for you. You are now uh, married to the risen Christ, not married to the law. And not in the oldness of the letter, but the newness of the Spirit. Our whole approach towards transformation and love and life is different than list-keeping. All right. Did that help? Um, watching that uh, makes me think I need to up my hand game. <laughs> I need to I need to really um, elevate there. Um, got a little jump there. All right, back to Exodus. We left off at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, so why are we talking about this when we just got through saying it this doesn't really apply to us? Remember what I said earlier, and that is um, these were written to uh, reveal uh, a lot about God. And there are some things that are good reminders, even if we may not be subject to uh, the rules, you might say. Uh, is it, well, let me ask you this. It says blatantly here, why is our week organized into seven days? Because God set the example. Because God set the example. And what happened on those that first seven days it was creation and that took how many days six days and then the seventh it says what God rested so one commentator has made the point and I've tried to bring it out that throughout throughout you know the Bible especially throughout Exodus 
we're constantly reminded of God's work in creation. Our seven-day week is a picture of creation. It's a reminder of creation. Um, It is separate from really any other measurement. Uh, Some people have talked about, well, there's the, the lunar cycle and the moons, but even that doesn't exactly fit, right? You get off sync. So seven days, it can remind us of a lot of things that are very useful. Who is our creator? Um, When do we need to rest? Um, Is it important to rest? Uh, Is it important to set aside a day for worship? All of those things are good reminders. And um, when, when we hear about how this was being put into practice in the New Testament, um, people were still meeting and gathering together. Um, Paul often went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, he knew there'd be people there to hear him, of course, because uh, uh, that, that was still going on in the synagogue. Uh, but oftentimes you hear him talking about, well, you know, I went down to the river because I thought maybe there'd be some people there praying and so forth. So um, it's appropriate to have a day set aside and, and as Dad said, sometimes we call it the Lord's Day. Um, so it's, it's an appropriate thing to do. Uh, later in the book, we're going to hear how God made very strict regulations for his people and what they should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Uh, we get a glimpse of that here. Uh, but we have it in principle, but it is different. And it gets to this concept of Jesus fulfilling the law. What was one of the biggest, this is a leading question, of course, what was one of the biggest things that, that really, it really made the Pharisees mad? What made the Pharisees so mad? Working on Jesus often got into trouble for doing stuff on the Sabbath. It really messed them up. They, I mean, they were all about trying to keep the rules, right? They were trying to keep the rules, and they wanted everybody else to follow the rules. They wanted to pay attention to those who weren't following the rules. This really, you know, he was just blatantly disregarding the rules. Why could he do that? Because he superseded them, right? Um, It's like if you saw rules posted in a kindergarten class, do you think the teacher really follows those rules? Probably not, because they're not for him or her, right? So Jesus superseded all that. Um, He healed on the Sabbath. He was, you know, he 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 really taught them in a variety of ways that he was beyond the Sabbath. It was a good opportunity. So a lot to be learned from that. We'll, we'll move along. But um, I should make the point that many of the rules, by the time we get to Jesus' day and those 600 and some odd extra rules that have been added to the Ten Commandments aren't in the Bible, right? Those were those were ways that the Pharisees and, and people above had tried to create rules about the rules to make it easier or more definable as to how you kept the rules. Uh, because if you look at many of these, they're very, they're very brief. 
there's not a lot of context for some of these, and um, they're 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 pretty basic. Uh, so all those extra rules were added, and and uh, we have to be careful that we don't add things as well. Verse twelve. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This one is specifically repeated um, in Ephesians. Uh, Paul says, honor your father and mother, and makes the point, this is the first commandment with a promise. Uh, what is the promise that's included here if you honor your father and your mother? Long life in the land. Which land is being talked about? The promised land in Canaan, right? Um, this, is, this is a general promise. If my people, you honor your father and your mother, your days as my people will be long in the land, right? Things are going to go well for you as a nation. This isn't a, an individual promise to, to a person, but it's a general. Now, as a principle, I think it actually works a lot of the time, even though it's not a specific promise. In fact, I um, used to be medical director of uh, the nursing home here at White Oak uh, next door, and um, uh, a person who was, she was well into her 90s, maybe close to 100, and was doing great, and um, I was talking with one of the staff there and wow you know I just met this lady and and I said she is just she's just got it going on you know she's like almost a hundred and the staff person said she must have really honored her parents and maybe she did you know I mean I thought that was really good Um, even if the specific promise wasn't there chances are there's something to the principle Honor your father and your mother. Um, One commentator made the point that, and we know this to be true, not everyone has parents that you feel like need to be honored. And this is is hard. You know, I have been very blessed. Uh, My parents, of course, are here um, and uh, have, have always been very supportive, but what about those whose parents don't really fit that ideal? What do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you really honor them in spite of that? And one commentator I thought made a good point that maybe doesn't totally answer the question I'm raising, but made the point that honoring them basically helps orient you to be thankful for the life that you have that you didn't get here on your own and it says um, I'll just quote here to honor these two the the parents is to be constantly reminded that we are not self-originating that without them we would not have even survived thus this command is a guard to a against a wholly self-focused life we do tend to be a selfish bunch and an egocentric bunch. Uh, 
that wasn't in the original quote. That's my <laughs> parenthesis there. Uh, I'll get back to the quote. Thus, this command is a guard against a wholly self-focused life. It may be especially valuable for us in cases where we judge that our parents are not deserving of such treatment. This command is not about deserving. It is about a realization that our life is not our own, but is a gift. I think that is a good is a good comment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Again, making the point, God is prepping his people to, first of all, be a people, to be a unified group, which they had not necessarily been seen as before, and to go into this land. Things will go well. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Uh, so what do we say about that? Is this the first time we find that God is against murder? When did we learn that? It goes way back. Cain and Abel, right? Uh, so... This gives us opportunity to make the point that many of these commandments weren't really new concepts to these people, right? We're going to find verse 15. Is there a more universal concept than don't steal? This concept of this is mine. I mean, anyone who's ever seen a five-year-old has a well-developed concept of property rights, right? Uh, yeah, this is mine, and you ain't taking it. Uh, everybody knows this. So these, these concepts were not new, but here we are having them you know, put together. God's putting them together. These are the things. Um, but but this, wasn't, this wasn't a foreign concept, you shall not murder. This, um, Moses had to flee. Egypt, right? Because he killed someone. What principle can we can we pull from this? You shall not murder. The value of life. The value of life. The value of life. Uh, absolutely. And who gets to decide? God ultimately needs to make this decision, right? When you think of the hot topic nowadays of pro-life, what's what pops in your head about that? Sanctity of life. And what do people mean? Babies are made in the image of God. So when we hear pro-life, sanctity of life, we usually hear it in the context of the abortion debate, right? I would argue it's way bigger than that, right? What else could be part of a pro-life argument nowadays? What are some other features? What, so end of life decisions, euthanasia, um, 
physician-assisted suicide. Uh, if you want to clean it up, what's it called? Death with dignity, right? What else? Racial stuff. What else? That's good, John. Genetic engineering cloning. Genetic engineering. Cloning. Uh, we, we heard um, within the past year, probably within the last six months, about the Chinese scientist who kind of went rogue and did some gene editing on embryos which were implanted and then uh, these babies were born. Um, basically genetically coded them to resistance to HIV, I think. Carly, thank you for the <laughs> affirmation there. Um, you know, it's... Um, uh, this was universally condemned, but this wasn't unexpected, right? I mean, this has been talked about for decades that this is where we were heading, that this is how technology was going to play out. Um, what was one of the big <coughs> concepts that Hitler was behind? Eugenics. What was, what was the goal there? And if you perfect one part of the race, what does that do to the value of those that are less imperfect? I read, um, this wasn't original, I'll see if I can put it in the class notes. Um, someone argued that if you're going to be pro-life, you should be consistent. So you should be pro-senior care. Um, pro, they said immigrant, they said you should be pro-immigrant lives matter, pro-black lives matter, pro, you should be consistent, life matters, right? Um, Down syndrome matters, disability matters, right? Um, this is a reminder, this you shall not murder, the general concept is honoring the life that we've been given, um, and and this is this is really God's province. Uh, is God against killing? In certain contexts, no. We we find that in the Bible uh, that uh, back to honoring your father and your mother. If you cursed your mom and dad, or your mom or dad. What was the penalty? Death. So as a as you do as a judicial action, um, it was there. Does that mean it? You know, but murder and you see the general concept of honoring life. One quote: In short, the sixth commandment stakes out the claim of God over all life and serves notice to all human beings but especially those who claim the biblical heritage as binding upon them, 
that God's claim upon life is to be given priority in the decisions taken by a community of its individual members. In other words, things like capital punishment, this should be a thoughtful, thoughtful, humbling uh, decision. Uh, this might be a good stopping point. Back to where we started. Uh, I'm going to put some items in the class notes because I, I think it is a good discussion. Um, one of the earliest um, initiators of the conversation, I'll, I'll say, about this posting of the Ten Commandments was actually by Andy Stanley in an editorial he wrote for a magazine back in January. The full thought was not so much don't post the Ten Commandments, but why aren't Christians arguing for the Sermon on the Mount to be posted? Why aren't we pushing for that? Why is that a better argument? Because it's way broader, right? It's way broader. Jesus said, well, if you hate somebody, it's what? And if you lust after someone, it's what? So you guys know these already. <laughs> you read ahead. Um, so, uh, so that was, that was uh, Andy Stanley's general concept. And he, and he knew he was treading on hallowed ground, so to speak, when he made the argument because he says, well, just stick with me here. Um, so I'll include that in the notes. I'll include a, a link to John Piper's video, which I think is, is good. Um, Dad's uh, quoted the uh, gotquestions.org uh, organization has a very nice response to this question. Do, do Christians have to obey the Ten Commandments? Um, I'll also post, there's a very nice PDF of a Bible study where uh, all of the nine commandments that are referenced in the New Testament are listed, and it's not just one verse for each one. There's three or four verses for every one. And then finally, uh, for the sake of balance, I think it's good to, um, to appreciate um, when people don't fully agree with us. Um, what was it uh, Ronald Reagan said? You know, if, if uh, somebody agrees with me 80% of the time, he's my friend, not my enemy. Uh, there's a nice um, argument from a Seventh-day Adventist brother that I'll link um, on why they think we should still um, honor the Sabbath as the, as the uh, original um, Israelites did. So I, I think it's, it's good to be able to appreciate that side of things, even if we might disagree. All right, we'll wrap up. Questions? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so Okay, so um, one of the one of the convenient things about going to Covenant's uh, website and clicking on the link is that you can hear the you can hear the lesson. The downside is you don't have it doesn't take you to um, the actual uh, uh, website where we host our lessons. There is a link, but you have to look careful for it, carefully for it. Uh, so. Um, It is difficult. It, it, there is a link on Covenant site that will take you to the site where you can see all the resources that I'm posting. I'll talk to y'all later. Talk to me later. <laughs> but, okay, um, 
anyone that gets mom's emails, she'll put a link in the next email for the class notes. How about that? And you just click, click and it'll take it there because every, every lesson we, you know, like Dad and I say all the time, there's very little original content here uh, except for the part when we mess up and then that's fine. Um, but uh, we, we, we try to footnote uh, all the resources um, and give credit. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much that you are the same God today as you were back then and the parts of yourself that you revealed then we can still uh, latch onto today. Uh, we, we thank you and we worship you for being a God that has moved beyond the law and moved us into grace. We are so thankful for that um, grace that we can attain through Jesus. And it's his, in his name that I pray. And I thank you for all these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.